Hey everybody, welcome to episode 145 of Making It. I'm Bob Baggett, here with Jimmy Duresta. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. What's up? Oh, I'm I'm trying to pay somebody and I realize PayPal is giving me a, oh, sorry about that, can't work now thing. So I just got a, sorry about that on my PayPal account, but hopefully everything's okay. What's up, guys? Welcome. We also have David Picciuto. Hey. Hey. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. Hey. Oh, yeah. There you guys are. I was just I was just passing by. Yeah, cool. Glad we caught you on the way by. Yeah. So I'm yeah. Uh, I gotta apologize. I have forgotten my mic and I'm traveling. So I have I'm speaking through like the headphone microphone, so it probably sounds horrible. This is the thing that I said not to do several weeks ago, you know, on when we talked about audio quality. <laughs> um yeah, so that and I've only mm-hmm. had one cup of coffee and they're out. They don't have any more coffee. So that's a oh. problem. Oh. So now we can sound like, I'm not going to name any names, but there's like three podcasts out there that I listen to, and it always sounds like one of the three guys are calling in on a telephone. Yeah. That would be me today. You guys know those three podcasts I'm talking about? Nope. Nope. Now we could sound like one of those three podcasts where the one guy calls in on a telephone. I actually don't know what you're talking about. No, I I mean, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and there's a couple where there's always one person, like, like every time they introduce the person, I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah, he is. Oh, he's calling in on a cell phone again. So <laughs> that person needs a microphone. And there's a couple others, which I don't listen to more regularly. But maybe when I see him, I could advise him to get a better cell phone. <laughs> do it. You know how uh, numbers don't matter, but they kind of do because they kind of make you feel good? Yeah. yeah. We're number 26 on iTunes Games and Hobbies podcast. That's amazing. It's so That's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. I'm thankful for cool. that. I am thankful for that. I'm thankful for that, kind of too. Leans, leans <laughs> to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Before we get to that, though, what have we been up to? David, what have you been doing? I'm working on a new workbench. We uh, designed it last night, and we start filming it. Well, I'm going to pick up materials today, and we'll start filming it tomorrow. And it's... Uh, uh, I, I kind of I've always heard this thing like build your first workbench so you know what to build for the next time and I was like ah that's that's funny that's nice and cute but after using this workbench for three or four years I've figured out what I really need and so that's what I'm building in this new one and it's got uh, I think I mentioned it before but it's got my air compressor built into it my dust collection or dust extractor built into it so I don't have to drag hoses and cords across the room and it's got uh, all kinds of clamp storage and, and storage for other tools and all kinds of cool stuff what have i been up to besides babysitting my dogs uh I, you know if you guys noticed last week in the vlog i made these garment racks and yep i had a little bit of a problem with the paint which isn't going to be in the video no one will see that but <clears throat> I painted them the day they would do, literally the day before they would do, because that's when they were ready to be painted, because I had no time to actually physically make them. So I painted them all day on a Tuesday. Tuesday night, they were still sticky. I had to pack them in my car, and I had to drive them to the delivery spot in Manhattan the next morning. And everything was had fingerprints on it and like stretch wrap more, you know, like stretch wrap doesn't, you know, the paint just takes the shape of what the stretch wrap is. So I had a lot of situations to deal with and the, the client wasn't, wasn't overjoyed, but they were happy I was able to make the delivery. And so I went back Saturday night and was that last night? 
no, Saturday night. And because it's a pop-up shop, so they're frantically getting the whole place together. So I took each rack one at a time out onto 42nd Street, sanded them, and fixed up all the trouble spots. And uh, ultimately, everything looked okay. Even when I went back and like every, I thought everything was going to look like it, I couldn't fix the paint up. It was still sticky. So the night I delivered them, I had to just like turn to the client and say, I got to come back in like three days. I know you have the time because they were still setting the whole place up. I said, <clears throat> I'll come back Saturday night and deal with it. But that goes back to just, you know, working for yourself and hmm. taking full responsibility for everything that goes wrong and managing the client's expectations and, you know, negotiating with the client. Because uh, I could have just dropped them off and walked away and then everything would have looked crummy. I mean, I had, like some of them stuck together. Like I couldn't, I had so much volume of material to put in my car. I couldn't literally wrap everything. And I knew that if I wrapped everything, I was just going to be covered, with, everything was just going to be covered with wrap marks because that's how wet the paint still was. I mean, you touched it to your hand, it didn't feel sticky, but if you kept your hand there for about 30 seconds, your fingerprints would be in the paint. So it was that kind of, that was Rust-Oleum, by the way. And that's because that's the color he picked. It was from Rust-Oleum. And uh, it was all glossy red. So it was, it, it was, I was really bummed about it. It was one of those things where like I couldn't sleep. I had to like, I was laying in bed thinking, like, how am I going to fix this? Anyway, when I got there Saturday night, the paint had cured enough to be able to be sanded and then touched up. And so I, the problem was averted ultimately. But if, if I had not the time between the Wednesday and the Saturday to let the paint cure, I, I don't know what I would have done. I would have just had to say, that's the best I could do, unfortunately. But it all worked out. So that's been, that was like my stress this whole week. And uh, it's off my mind now. I was just editing the video for that. It's going to be up soon. And... That's it. And then Thanksgiving's coming. Tomorrow, I get to go pick up a hundred-year-old paper chopper for my printing business. I'm really Ooh. excited about that. Sweet. So, I, you, you said the Rust-Oleum paint. I know you are talking about yeah. that, but I want to jump back for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you got? Um, I know that you've said in the past that that's the one that you don't like because it doesn't dry fast, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I got stuck having to use it because he liked the color. But of the... I know that Montana Gold is probably your, like your go-to. Yeah. For spray paints. But of the stuff that's available at big box stores, which is the one that you think cures faster or harder or better or whatever? Well, at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing I had against me, regardless of what paint I was using, was the weather. It was damp and it was cold. It was about 30 degrees all day on Tuesday when I painted. So no matter what I would have done, as a, as a for instance, we had a little propane heater in the shop. So... We had the propane heated down at the ground. These racks are, say, six feet tall. And so all the bottom parts of the rack were all cured and the paint was good. It's the upper parts where it wasn't most near the heat. So we, we kind of we kept moving them in circles, me and Brett moving them in circles around the heater. So all the bottom parts were, were paint was good. It was the upper part. So in general, Rust-Oleum used to never dry. And now, now it's better. Honestly, it is much better. They've reformulated. And I, I since I was a when I used to use Rust-Oleum as a kid, I ne my experience was it would never dry. It was just super glossy paint that needed like a hot day and you got to spray paint it and don't even think about touching it for like three days. Huh. And that's kind of like the, the mentality of Rust-Oleum. <clears throat> Krylon used to dry fast when it came out of the tip. It doesn't come out of the tip anymore, so I just don't buy it. But Montana Gold is great. But the problem with Montana Gold is that they don't sell it at the big box store, which is near me. So now I'm in upstate New York. I can't on a whim go and buy... 15 cans of the red. Yeah. If I was in New York City, I probably would have went and got 15 cans of red that matched that color, even though the client wouldn't have known the difference. So yeah. I just was not in the vicinity. It was a, a timing issue, really. So I, I stuck with the Rust-Oleum. 
Okay. And the bigger factor above, above it all was just that it was cold out. It was about 35 degrees, and I can't expect paint to dry in 35 degrees. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the one of the cool day, things was... about... Go ahead. I was going to say, one of the cool things about Montana Gold is you can get different tips for the cans, and they have hundreds of colors to choose from. Yeah. Um, I've seen my buddy, Matt, when he's painting... Um, with a brush, he has a heat gun that he uses to cure things. So he, when he moves on to the next step or the next color, it yep. dries. Can you use a heat gun when you're using rattle can paint? <clears throat> that paint, there's something about it. If you use a heat gun, it just stays gummy. You know, it mm. really needs like a natural radiant heat to dry. Like a heat gun would be too much concentrated heat. And then I'm talking about something that's like, it's got like, uh, like, 25 linear feet of two inch tubing in it so i'd have to be like you know tracing the whole thing so yeah ultimately it all worked out and the client was really happy with it and i said to him next time we do this give me more time i'll take all the racks back and i'll sand them and paint them really good and uh he's he was cool with it he was really ultimately they really loved what i did and and uh you know, I just I just didn't want to send everybody there and see this like crummy paint job. So now everyone's going to go and pick out the crummy parts that I tried yeah. to fix up desperately on Forty Second <laughs> Street. But uh, you know, that's just a matter of given given the amount of time to do the best I can with what I got. They had this pop up shop. I made the prototype. It took them like ten days to decide if this is what they wanted. During those ten days, I went to Chicago. I was in Chicago, and they got like, "Okay, we want them." I'm like, "Okay, that means you want them in like six days from now." I'm in Chicago, and so. I had the guys at the shop cut the parts up, so when I got back, I immediately went right to work. And, uh, uh, you know, the job's done. It's over, and everybody's happy. But it's uh, the stress of dealing with real clients. It's just, you know, sometimes it drives you crazy. It's almost it's like too much for some people to bear. I, I get emails from people sometimes, and they're like, how do you deal with the stress of, like, unhappy clients? And they were never unhappy. I just had to manage. I just had to say, look, this paint doesn't have enough time to dry because you ordered these things six days ago. So... We'll work it out. And we did. So that's what I've been up to. That's my stress level, but it's over now. <laughs> so Nice. Well, the reason I was asking about the paint thing is because yeah. last couple weeks ago, sometime I was painting something. Oh, my uh, skateboard hook that I made. And I used Rust-Oleum because... Yep. It like, looked great, by the way. It's <clears throat> a nice gloss. Oh, thanks. But I, the orange that was the right orange was the orange that I wanted. And I'd started with a different... I think it was a Krylon orange. And it just, it wouldn't dry. And so... Cryline wouldn't dry? Yeah, Cryline wouldn't. And in my head, I was going, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Jimmy said this is the one that won't dry. And so I went and got Rust-Oleum, which I was obviously wrong, but I went and got Rust-Oleum, and it dried fine. Right. So it's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe the color well, has something, to, you know, the formulation of the colors have something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe there's different well, levels of Rust-Oleum. <clears> the, the, late, lately... The the lately it seems like Rust-Oleum works really good. They must have done some work in the last few years. I had stayed away from it for like fifteen years, so I haven't used it in all that time. But one thing is about one thing that I I can't stand about Rust-Oleum, and it and it came back to haunt me, and it's something that never goes away. Maybe it's with other paints, but I always noticed it with Rust-Oleum in particular. When you spray paint something with Rust-Oleum, you have to add more paint within like one or two hours, or wait five days. If you go back the next day and it's still slightly tacky and you add more paint, the paint you put on is going to eat away the paint that's sitting there. Hmm. So <clears throat> when I immediately start to touch it up when I first delivered it, the new spray paint on top of the day-old paint immediately began to make it crackle and peel away. And that's a huge problem because yeah. we want a glossy, smooth finish, and now the sticky, gooey paint is all crackled. What do you do there? 
I literally had to take my razor blade, cover it with paint to deactivate it and like make it muddy, take a razor blade and scrape the paint off back down to the metal. Uh So that was my stress level. I'm like, am I going to have to do this to every single one of them? I did it to two of them, only on like the visible eye spots, not the whole thing. So I did it to two of them and I dragged them inside and I said to the client, I got to come back Saturday. This is just not going to work. He didn't know what I was up to. I was out in the street panicking on myself, by myself. But that's the biggest problem. But with paints like Montana, you could put down paint, 10 minutes later put down more paint, 20 minutes later put down more paint, and it just keeps adding on top. With glossy Rust-Oleum, you put it down. If you go back to it four hours later, the new paint you put on it is going to eat the paint that's sitting there. And it says it in the instructions, but nobody reads that. Oh, crazy. But – and, you know, in an emergency situation, I'm like, maybe it won't happen this time. Maybe I waited <laughs> enough time. And then I spray paint it on and the whole facade of, like, the main bar starts crackling. And I'm like, uh, on 42nd Street and people are having fun and it's Thanksgiving time. And I'm scraping paint off of, like, the <laughs> bar. There's paint all over my new pants and all over my hands. And, and I'm going inside and I go to the client. Yeah, everything's cool. Yeah, no, You know, it's just going to have to wait till Saturday. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be fine. I'll be back Saturday. We'll get this all tightened up. I wonder if it has anything to do with um, like enamel paints versus the acrylic based, you know? Because I mean, you can get both of those brands and probably every other brand in different type of paint where you have acrylic or you have like a harder enamel finish. So maybe that has something to do with it too. Yeah. Well, it has a lot to do with like the vehicle. I know that Krylon used to be really good and I'm talking years ago now. So if people have more information than I'm about to give. Years ago, Krylon used to be more lacquer-based, and you'd spray it, and it would be awesome. It would dry. You'd be able to spray more right on top of it, but lacquer now is like illegal in most states, and so they go to all these alternative vehicles. A vehicle is the actual liquid that carries the pigment. It's either like an oil-based or you know water-based or, or lacquer-based, and I don't know too much about it, but I just know that the worse it smells, the better the paint usually is, and I said that to David, David Welder, and I used to say that the more poisonous it is, the better the finish is. Hmm. So it, it, with these all low VOCs, I worked with a couple of interior designers and like, you have to go to, you have to go to uh, Life is Green. It's a new paint shop in Midtown and you go in and everyone's like, oh, life is perfect. Life is green. Nothing dries. Everything's perfect. <coughs> and you pick out a color and it, you get you open the paint and it's like honey. You paint it on and you wait three days and it's still not dry. And then you deliver it to the client. Every time they sit in it, their pockets leave impressions on the top of the paint. They're like, why isn't this paint dry? I'm like, oh, because it's, it's, you know green paint. I don't know what it's made out of. I don't know how to thin it. I don't know what it's made out of, but it's low VOC. And I had that with a client. It took like a year for the paint to finally cure and dry to the point where every time she opened the cabinet, it didn't stick. And I I said, you got to talk to the interior designer because she spec this paint. I know nothing about it. Hmm. That's Hmm. happened to a couple of clients where I worked with this one particular interior designer. Everything's low VOC. You know, you could eat it with your cereal. It's perfect. It's totally (laughs) non-poisonous and it doesn't dry. So that's why I say, and you know, it's totally clean and healthy for the world, but the paint doesn't dry. So it's like you deal, like you say, goes back to the more poisonous it smells and tastes in your mouth, the better the finish will be. (laughs) Kids don't taste the paint. I was going to say the exact same thing. (laughs) Don't eat paint. Yeah, so I'm actually traveling right now. We are headed to Florida for Thanksgiving to see family, so we're stopping in Savannah, so... Uh, right now I'm in Savannah and went to our old house yesterday. It still hasn't sold, so I went and painted some trim and just kind of you know tidied up some stuff. 
um, it was kind of interesting being back in my old shop, like just walking into this tiny little room and being like, wow, <laughs> even though there's nothing in there. It's, and so it's bigger than it ever was when I was actually living there. Still is pretty small, but, um, yeah, so we're passing through here and then this week, you know, going to visit family and all that stuff. And it's, it's one of those things like we've talked about it before where you go on vacation, you go on a trip and you know, you should really be enjoying the, the away and the disconnection. Um, but the th- same thing is happening already where I was starting to get ahead in video production and project production. And I was like, I had an extra week and now I'm going to be gone for a week. And so I'm just, I can feel myself while I'm sitting <laughs> here and sitting in the car, I can feel that lead time just dissolving. Mm. <laughs> it's a little bit, mm. but you know, whatever it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so last week, I made a project that will be up, I guess, yesterday by the time this goes out. And I made a wooden katana and super, super happy with how it turned out. Um, I'd been inspired by <clears throat> watching Iron Fist and then I saw I was, they had a dojo in the show and the girl who ran the dojo had like wooden practice swords. And I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome. I can make a wooden katana practice sword, you know, and that gives me like a valid reason why that would exist versus a metal sword. And so I kind of put it on the list. And then I watched Alex Steele do his real katana, uh, which is just crazy. A huge amount of work and beautiful result. And so that kind of pushed me over the edge, and I decided to actually do, you know, like a, a full-on wooden katana. And I'm super happy with how it turned out. I spoke to Alec this week. He invited us to his shop. We talked on the phone. Uh, I gave him some advice about something he's working on. But uh, he said, when we get out to, to, to England... Come visit. Sweet. Give me directions and what train to take and stuff. So we definitely got to go down there. He invited okay. all of us. Good. Yeah, I, I um, sent him a picture of the katana while I was, excuse me, while I was working on the blade. And I was like, look what you inspired. And he said, do you want a steel handle for it? And I'm like, oh, man, that would have been <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's a good one. Steel handle and wooden blade. But yeah. I was already too far along with, you know, what I was working on. So that would have been pretty sweet. But yeah, so that's uh, that's coming out, and um, and then like I, I think I've talked about it already. The dust collection, my new dust collection system. Have I talked about that on here? Yeah. Yep. So we've been working on that, Josh and I. And um, right before I wrapped up last week, before we left, we got everything in place, and it worked. And then sparks started flying for just a second. <gasps> uh, we blew out a relay, but for a second. Everything, oh, that was the picture you had up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We burned out a relay pretty bad, um, but it was just like a. We had tried to put an insulator between that and the box that it was in, and we used paper tape rather than like a duct tape or something, you know, that would actually insulate it. I was just being quick and didn't really think about it. Anyway, had another one, replaced it. It's no big deal, but the whole thing actually works, and it's really, really gratifying to just turn on the table saw. And the entire system turns on and all the gates open and suction starts happening and turn it off. Everything turns itself off. And it's, I don't know, it's really cool. It's really cool. And we put a lot of work into all the different parts of it. It's been like a, I don't know, two or three week long, you know, like, well, we got to do this step. And then we got to figure out how to engineer the gates. And then we got to engineer the suction and like had to do um, special adapters, 3D print these adapters to make all the hoses and all the tools join together with the dust collector and. Um, with the pipe that we were using and stuff like that. So it's been a big kind of process, but it's pretty gratifying to like see it working. 
huge thanks to Josh on that too, because he's done a lot of the work, a lot of the engineering work on it. Hmm. That's been cool. Um, let's see, before we get into our actual topic, which is, this is kind of like, I'm kind of proud of the segue. Before we get into the topic of thankfulness, I want to say how thankful we are for our Patreon supporters. See that? That's good. Very, very good. Yeah, very good. Um, especially Make, Build, Modify, Sean Rubino, Freeman Furnishings, Torbal Terry, Works by Solo, Malton Make, Corey Ward, Evan and Caitlin, and Wise Old Dow, but also just everybody. We're still getting a lot of new patrons all the time to help us support the show, and that's awesome. We're, we're really honestly thankful for all of you guys. You know, we don't have sponsors on this show. We don't, you know, we sell some t-shirts, but not many. Um, and so you guys really do help us keep doing this, and, and we're grateful for that. So keep it up, and uh, everybody who's a patron at any level gets access to our after show, which is like another, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes of yammering that we do every week. And it's usually secret stuff in there sometimes. <laughs> so um <laughs> if you're interested in that go to patreon.com slash making it and yeah help out or don't it's up to you so what are we gonna talk about well this week here in the united states it is thanksgiving week and so we figured we would tell stories or talk about what we're thankful for this could be all over the place <laughs> tell any story or whatever you're thankful for and uh, I'm going to start off by saying I am thankful for the shop that I have now. I have space to do what I, I want. I have the tools to do what I want. And I want to. I just want to quickly tell the story of, of my, my first shop to where I am now. Because uh, years ago, back in 2011, I uh, was getting ready for an art show for my photography. I went to go get my photos framed. And the framer was going to charge me 125 bucks for each frame. And I thought, oh, I took woodshop back in the 90s in, in high school. I can, I can do this. So I went out and bought a miter saw. Realized I needed a little bit more than that to do the frames. But I started picking up on some woodworking videos that I saw on YouTube. And a couple video podcasts that I would subscribe to. And... Uh, I just got I just got hooked into woodworking, and I had a ten foot by ten foot room in this house that I w that was my shop. I was able to fit a table saw in there and uh, a router. My first table saw was one hundred and twenty five bucks. It was actually a hundred bucks, and I paid the guy twenty five bucks to actually deliver it to my house. This old grizzly things were the 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 on off switch was hanging off. It was all out of alignment and whack. It was crazy. It was cheap, but it, it got me through and I filled up the 10 foot by 10 foot space pretty quick. So then I had to put a bandsaw in my laundry room and that that's, that's how I got started. I, so when, when people say, uh, I'm in a small shop, I can actually relate to that because I had a really, really tiny shop and I was, then I moved in, um, with Kelly, we got married, and I had a bigger basement to work with. Low, low head ceiling room, always hit the head on the ductwork. And then a couple years, a few years later, we moved into where we're at now. So I am thankful for what I have now, and I I can totally uh, empathize with people who have small shops. I've been there. Right on. Yep. Yeah, I mean, My I app? agree. <laughs> <laughs> we all have, now we all have surplus space. But I'll tell you what, I, I you got me thinking, and I remember, 
I've had so many ups and downs in my my life. I mean, I've always had a shop growing up in my dad's, uh, my mom and dad's house growing up. And then when I moved to the city, I remember thinking to myself, I, I, the one thing that kept me from moving from Long Island to New York City was I couldn't come to, to New York City with a shop. I didn't have the money. I didn't have anything. So my brother and I agreed, let's get an apartment. Let's just get the ball rolling and see where it goes. So we got an apartment in the Lower East Side in 1992. And I needed a bandsaw. I needed a saw. I needed something because at the time I was doing toy prototyping. So I brought my bandsaw up into my apartment. So I had a bandsaw in my apartment on the third floor. And every time I turned it on, the whole entire apartment filled with sawdust because I was cutting. I was doing a lot of molding and plastic injection prototyping. So I was making more. And most of the time when I cut wood, it was really to make like a, a box to corral a mold or do something. So I was cutting up plastic and wood and anyway it all created sawdust in my apartment so i limited i had a vacuum too and it would still no matter what i did sawdust would go everywhere and also turning on the bandsaw in my apartment i just felt the entire floor vibrating and i just thought any minute the neighbor's gonna start banging on the floor with a broom <laughs> and uh so short, that was only that only lasted about six months because then i got the storefront right in front of the building and then that became our shop for the next couple of years and business kept growing, and then we got a shop around the block, a really big one, a 3,000-square-foot ground-level overhead garage door. And I was not doing any YouTube or anything. This is 95 to 2000. And then toward the end of 99, the beginning of 2000, we went bankrupt. We had to give up everything. So I retreated back to that storefront, and that storefront became my shop for a little while. And then it was in... So, wow, I'm trying to remember the timeline. I'm kind of forgetting everything. And around 2003, I got, the, I got the basement space. My dogs are having fun. In about 2003, I got that basement space. And so I just knew that as long as I was able to use tools, I could make money. And so in the basement, I was able to, to build my business back up. My brother went on his way. He got a job, so we were no longer needing to work together because we were always looking for a shop where we could both work together. And... Uh, so then when I got the basement space, I just got back to prototyping. I slowly got into woodworking. I began to do anything it took. And in between here and there, I got TV shows and stuff like that. And things kept growing. But honestly, my life really changed when YouTube came along. And I know this is kind of like redundant. People are probably sick of hearing it. But it's. I look last night, I was in the barn in the backyard. And I think of all the things I went through to get to where I am now. I finally have the beginnings of a shop. It's not done yet. But I have the beginnings of an amazing shop in my backyard and it's it's been such a long winding road and at this point i'm like i'm so i've been so beat up and had so many losses that nothing surprises me and nothing scares me so it's almost nice like coming through all the ups and downs i've been through i said we went bankrupt once i went bankrupt another time and i don't, and i when i say bankrupt i didn't le legally go bankrupt i just went broke and i just retreated and i tried to think how can i build my finances back up without having to do that. And I never did actually go bankrupt. So my credit is very good still. Um, so be, just as a side note, I, I, again, I say bankrupt, but meaning like, okay, I can't pay bills in three months from now. I have to, it's not like I can't pay bills tomorrow. You know, yeah. that's when you have to go bankrupt. When I look at my timeline and trajectory, I say, okay, if I go on this path for another three months, I'm going to have a really hard time. So let me try and steer Steer clear of that. And that's when I say you go broke. You, you sell things, give things away, reduce your overhead, get out of the lease, that kind of stuff. Which, by the way, do you guys know Tech Shop just went out of business? Yeah. That's we'll talk about that in a minute. Bummer. Yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, so and when I look at my long winding road and, and the minute I started YouTube, and it, it seems like I'm still 
trying to like establish myself on YouTube. And it seems like I never, that I, the idea of like having to constantly keep up and try and impress myself. And of course my fans, it never goes away. And it's been seven, six or seven years. I can't believe so much time has elapsed. And I get emails from people all the time. They say, you're living the life. And I, I never really stop to look back and say, I guess I am living the life. I get to make what I want. I'm kind of living, uh, in, you know, in a beautiful environment with my girlfriend who's amazing and helps me and inspires me. And, you know, so I'm thankful for the road I've been on and where I am now and where I'm going to continue to keep going. And uh, I, I'm just super thankful to the fans that send me beautiful notes and make me cry. I mean, I listen to people talk about this stuff. And like at, when I was at Fabtech, for instance, I'm sitting listening and talking to people and I'm like trying not to cry while they're like telling me these like beautiful stories about their mm-hmm. life. And uh, yeah, because we're all happy smiles. And then like, you know, I'm like, I want to like cover my face and wipe my eyes. <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, so I'm just so thankful for, for everything and, and, uh, and the support. And I keep saying love and respect and, I really mean that when people just like respect what you do and love what you do. And, you know, it's a mutual love and respect for, for everybody. So, you know, the, the, uh, those, those letters, when people tell you those stories, that was the unexpected thing. Yeah. You know, I, I never, I, I, I didn't, I, I hate the phrase, you know, um, change lives. Like I didn't go out to do this to change anybody's lives. I went out to do this because this is the path that I, I felt like I should I should be on. And when somebody sends you that letter, like I am going through a hard time and your video or your podcast helps me get through this, that just blows my mind. And I'd never expected that. Yeah. Yeah. It really does kind of take you off guard. I mean, it takes me off guard anyway. Because I mean, if, you know, when you think about it, <clears throat> like we just make stuff we, in our own houses. We're like just regular dudes who stay in our basements and make things. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the fact that that like can can have any sort of a ripple effect in a positive way in any other thing outside of our basement is pretty amazing. So yeah, I mean that that stuff is that's the thing that recharges me too. And I don't say that to say like send me your stories to recharge me. I don't I don't mean that. But like if I'm ever um, you know stressing myself out or thinking too much about like well you know what should I title this thing because that really matters as to who will see it. And then I like will flip through email and I'll find this email of somebody talking about how, I mean, this guy like last week said, a guy I met at Maker Faire um, said, I bought power tools because of you. And I'm like, that's awesome. And then last week he sent me a picture of the first table that he made, the first piece of furniture he made with those tools. I'm like, that's awesome. Like that person's life is now a little bit different, you know, and he's doing something new that he enjoys. And if I had played any tiny part in that, that makes me go like, who cares what this next video is titled? <laughs> I don't care about the keywords. Like, you know, there's there's something a little bit more important that's happening out there uh, that I have no control over. You know, I, I recognize that, but that's, that's super cool. I made that double-ended spoon video the other day, and it was three minutes long, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this is nothing. This is like a little nothing. This should be just like a piece of the vlog. This shouldn't even be on a standalone video. And I put it out, and it... People are watching and people are really commenting on it. People are saying, wow, this inspires me to go and do that. And so I got to keep reminding myself not to second guess even the slightest bit of interesting content that I make. So, Yeah, I do that a lot as well. I I discount ideas because I don't think they're interesting enough. Yeah. Um, Mm. Which is not fair to the people who 
haven't maybe haven't gotten making stuff to that point to where you know that still might be the motivating factor that they need to to move ahead or something but um as far as like i mean i kind of have the same thing to say as you guys about where i'm at right now it's just unbelievable to me that like over the last two years uh i mean of course i'm extremely thankful that i'm able to do what i do full-time that that shift in my life was just like way bigger and more impactful than I ever expected it to be for a lot of reasons. I mean, you know, it obviously changed the dynamic of our family because now I'm self-employed again after not having been for a while. And, uh, that, that has lots of ramifications, you know, financially and just like stress level and stuff like that. But I think the shift of, of going full time this time, rather than starting another business that, I don't know. Like I've done this before, but something about this one really freed me up inside. Like I, I felt uh, when I was able to make that step, it was like I'm I'm actually making a living doing whatever I want day to day. It's not like I'm going to start a tech company and we're going to make this app and this is going to be the plan five years down the road and we're planning on selling it. It's like today I get to make a katana at a hardwood flooring. And that's my life now. <laughs> like, that's, that's bananas, right? And I'm really mm-hmm. thankful for that. that. That shift, that change, changed the way that I felt about like what I was capable of and what was realistic for somebody to do for a living. And that has had another effect into how I relate to my kids. And um, I'm also really thankful for that because I've never had the pressure of like, I got to convince my kids to, to make sure that they do school the right way so that they can be doctors or lawyers or something that's really, you know, kind of a, a guaranteed road of success. Um, now I'm in the position where I'm able to show the kids, like, whatever you really care about, there's probably a way that you can figure out how to turn it into a job. You know, and it's going to be a lot of work. Great. I mean, it's going to be a lot of like, <laughs> there's, there's risk to it. There's And I think that's another thing that I actually get to teach them about risk and reward. And um, that's something I couldn't have done if I was making software for a large company. You know, there's there's no risk there. There's just you do your job, you get paid for it, and then hope that they don't lay you off for no apparent reason. So anyway, I'm really thankful for all that. And then more timely, uh, this whole move, you know, that we've done in the last several months, um, has been it's been tough in a lot of ways and there's been some like a lot of growing pain as far as our family you know like leaving our friends and our community and then trying to meet new people and stuff like that but the positives that have come out of it with the way that I've seen our kids kind of expand and get to meet new people and kind of have to meet new people and have to build new relationships is super good for them and I'm really thankful that they're not in their own little bubble anymore they're now in a new place where they get to explore and they get to uh you know, interact with people that they never would have otherwise. That's been great. Um, and it's kind of doing the same for Jenny and I, that we were now forced to find new friends, which is one of those things that you don't really expect. I didn't really expect as an adult that I would ever have to like, oh, I got to go make new friends now. How do you do that as a grown person? <laughs> so that's been kind of a cool... <laughs> go hang out at the park. Do what? <laughs> be, don't be creepy. Yeah. Go hang out at the park. Hang out at the park and just walk up to people. And be, Hi, will you be my friend? <laughs> so i mean but that's been like a good stretching exercise and i'm actually thankful for that because it's forcing us to like you know i'm revisiting some friendships that i had when i was a kid some people that are still there that's pretty cool um 
Yeah, it's it just there's I don't know, man. There's so much stuff, and I'm super f- thankful that I get to live in my grandparents' house. Uh, just the way that that whole situation worked out, that we were able to. I, I'm not. I'm not actually one that thinks about a whole lot about like heirloom type stuff. You know, like I don't care if this furniture was furniture from my great great grandfather or whatever. It's a piece of furniture. Great, you know. Um, so I'm kind of surprised that it was important to me to take advantage of being able to move into my grandparents' house, and I think. I'm not really sure what it was, but there's something that's turned out to be really, really cool about being there and feeling like I'm doing the thing in his house <clears throat> and, and renovating to his house that stuff that he would have done or stuff that he would be really happy about. That's just really cool feeling. Um, and then the shop itself is unbelievable. And I still kind of marvel at how big it is. Like I, I was telling somebody yesterday, when you walk in, when I walk into the door, <clears throat> there's an open space right there at the door with nothing in it that is bigger than my old shop was. <laughs> and that's just that like, the, I got a few of those too. I know what you mean. It's just, that's <laughs> crazy. Like I, and I ride a skateboard through my shop now from end to end. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that to boast at all. I'm just, that still blows me away. And I'm just incredibly grateful that, you know, where I'm at right now is, is super amazing. And it's not something I would have expected a couple of years ago. It's not something I like really had a goal for it. Just kind of the way it happened, the way stuff played out. Um, it's just, it's been crazy, man. And, um, I'm extremely grateful for every single bit of it. Even the stuff, even the stuff that's hard, even the things that have been really sad about, well, I mean about like losing my grandfather, obviously, but about moving away, there was a lot of really tough stuff there, but I'm also really thankful for those parts too. It's pretty amazing that your grandfather was a maker and that you're in his shop. Hmm. You know, it's yeah. actually touching. Yeah. It really is. It's amazing. I was thinking about that the other day when we were talking and you were going, you were kind of talking about, this was last week when we were talking and I didn't bring it up because it didn't seem like the right time and I wasn't even thinking about it again until you just mentioned it. But the fact that you're creating in the shop that your grandfather made so many beautiful, like I remember when you showed those birds a couple of years ago, those things were amazing. Yeah. And your grandfather was obviously an extremely skilled craftsman and a creative artist. And he would be so proud of you. Yeah. I mean, I hope so, you know, but I, yeah, I love the fact that I get to work where he was working and, and I mean, you know, like I spent a lot of my, uh, younger years in that shop, just like watching him do stuff. Like I didn't do a whole lot cause I was young and, um, but I remember like a lot of my Pinewood Derby cars were made in his shop and I remember him helping me out, you know, and stuff like that. And I've got this little guitar. I've probably showed it to you guys before, but it's like a, a piece of a wood with a routed edge on it that was like from the middle of a, it's almost like he routed a piece of wood and then cut it into a, a picture frame or something. Anyway, it's just this panel, like an inset panel. And then there's a piece of plywood, like a strip nailed onto the back of it that goes out and then there's two little tiny pieces of wood glued to the front of it. So it looks like a caveman made a little tiny guitar representation. And <laughs> on the back of it, it says like made by Bobby 1985 or something like that. And everybody called me Bobby when I was a kid. Everybody knows that. But my parents brought me that maybe 15, 20 years ago, you know, they brought it down to Savannah and we're like, Oh cool. Your grandparents found this in the house and you know, whatever. And so now I have, I cherish that thing. That's just a really good memory. And I found it the other day in our new house. And I was like, 
wow, this was made in that room right there. Oh, yeah. You know, like, whoa, like this is a kind of a crazy circle that, uh, I don't know, stuff like that is really cool. And I'm just, I'm extremely grateful for, you know, where I'm at right now. And uh, kind of like you said, Jimmy, like I'll, I haven't had a lot of really rough ups and downs. I'm super blessed in my life that um, I've been given a lot. I've been taken care of. I've been, you know, provided for. Um, and I've never had any major trauma, I think, um, <laughs> compared to what a lot of other people have had. So, of course, I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, but, yeah, I have a lot to be grateful for, for sure. I have something else to be grateful for, and, and it's living and working with a, my girlfriend who is a maker. And I'm so happy I found somebody that has a focus, ideas to share and build. You know, sometimes we don't always agree on design aesthetics, but I believe I am on YouTube and I am where I am because Taylor said, why don't you just go do YouTube? Stop trying to chase the TV business. And that simple little phrase really changed the course of our lives. And so I'm extremely grateful for that. And we're still together and we're just talking about some future and plan not kids so don't think we're gonna have kids but we're just talking about some planning and some stuff you know together and you know it's just we had a conversation in the last couple of days just talking about you know our lives together and where we're going and that's going in a good direction and we're, we're extremely happy and, and i'm grateful for taylor so happy i found a girl that likes to weld that's pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just continue that go for yeah talk about kelly i know we're all gonna do it so just go ahead <laughs> sure sure i I am grateful that Kelly told me to quit my job and take a chance. Like we were, we're just in a in a position where I was I was working at the ad agency. It was getting frustrating at times. Uh, I it wasn't fulfilling anymore, and I could see little glimpses of of this working out. I was, uh, you know, I just got a book deal, and I'm starting to sell plans, and I'm starting to get a little bit of traction on YouTube, and. Kelly saw how hard I was working at it and she's just like you know what if you quit your job and we sat down one night we wrote down all of our expenses we realized that most of them are not even needed you know we don't need Hulu and HBO and Netflix and MLB and you know all the all this entertainment stuff like if we had to we could cut all that out and so she took a chance and holy cow, like everything changed after that. My, my happiness changed, my, my outlook on, on life, the way I view other people and just the way I, I view our relationship. So I'm, I'm very thankful for how supportive she is and that she was willing to, to take a chance. And, and we, we, we realized that, and uh, Bob, you've said this a million times, but if it doesn't work, there's always there's always the the plan B. There's always the the, the thing I can fall back on. I've I have other skills. I've had other jobs. I could I could figure out what to do with my life. So very thankful for Kelly. Yeah, likewise uh, for me about Jenny. Just a lot of the same stuff. I mean, it's amazing that someone is willing to let you like take such a huge leap that can have a negative, I mean, potentially have a negative effect on her and on our kids. And, you know, but she has never second guessed 
uh, quitting that job and doing this full time that I've heard. I've ne- I mean, I've never gotten an inkling of like, maybe this wasn't a good idea or man, I wish you hadn't done that or anything like that. She just has been a hundred percent supportive, uh, since it was even a rough idea, even when it was just a hobby, she was still like, I know that you need to do this for your sanity. So I will pick up the slack where you need to, you know, take and go do this, go make stuff so that I can, I'll take care of the kids to give you that time to do it when she's already taking care of the kids all day. So that's pretty amazing in and of itself. She even, I talk about this in the book. Um, but when I was thinking about going full time, we talked about it a lot and talked about finances a ton. And, you know, I was super worried about it and everything. And she came back one afternoon and she said, I've got two jobs lined up. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she hasn't worked since we started having kids. She works at home. She takes care of the kids. She takes care of our house. So she works hard, but she hasn't had a job outside of the house. So she came back and said, I've got two jobs lined up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, well, so that you don't have the stress of being of being the only one who brings in all the income, I've lined up two part-time jobs, and I'm going to start doing those so that you can quit your job and do full-time. And I was just like, what? Like, you know, she didn't say, hey, this is a thing I should go try to do. She went and got jobs and then came back and told me about it because she knew I would try to talk her out of it. And, ah, man, that still makes me want to cry just thinking about it. But that's amazing. And, of course, I told her, you can't take those jobs, <laughs> you know, like, but I mean, just the fact that she was willing to, again, change the way that she was doing stuff and change, you know, what she had lined up just to support me and let me do this. That man, she's awesome. I, I know I said this before, but it's, this is good context to repeat it. Um, you guys know Genevieve from HGTV? Yeah. Yeah. Genevieve and I are old friends and we, we lost touch for a long time, but we recently got reconnected, but Years ago, when I was first friends with Genevieve, and I was all brokenhearted over a girlfriend, and she said to me, we were just out to dinner one night, and she said to me, she goes, well, does that person inspire you? Like, well, like what is it you're really upset about? And when she said that, I realized this person I was brokenhearted about had never inspired me to do anything. I was just like more emotionally obsessed with this person. And when she said that, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. It like alleviated all, because I'm like, no, she doesn't inspire me at all. Hmm. So why am I wasting energy on this person? And it, it really like it lifted the the cone of grief that was over me because of this recent breakup. And I always credit Genevieve with just that one little thing. She just said, does she inspire you? And the answer was no. What am I wasting my time here for? And so when I think of Taylor, she inspires me a thousand different ways every day. And so that's why a relationship like where all three of us are in is really important. So if you're out there and you're having problems with a girl or problems with the relationship, Ask yourself, does this person inspire me hmm. to live a better life, to create, to do whatever it is that is inspiring to you personally? And if that answer is no, maybe that might help you make a faster decision. Yeah. And you could apply that to a job the same way as well. I mean, yep. like it's it's so easy to get into a job and just be like, this one's safe. You know, this is paying my bills. I need to pay bills. So, you know, I and I totally get that. I'm not trying to discount that. But yeah, that's a good that's a good lens to look at anything you're doing through and see if maybe mm-hmm. you're not in the right place. So. Hmm. That's a good tip. Yep. Well, is there anything that we're thankful for that's maybe less <laughs> like uh, less roofy flower <laughs> and emotional? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be, well, we're going to be making, I like to make stuff, uh, uh tissues. But yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I am thankful. I'll, so I'll, I'll try to keep it um, 
around making and, and woodworking. When I uh, decided to do this full time, I am very thankful that the the maker the content creator community embraced me. Uh, I I got when I announced that I was doing going to go full time. Uh, Mark Spagnolo and Steve Ramsey both reached out to me and said, "Hey, if you need to talk." Uh, let me do so or let's do so and and i was very thankful for that because it those conversations kind of opened my eyes and helped me see things a little bit better and i'll I'll say that at that time it was a little bit different where there wasn't so many full-time content creators so um don't expect like everybody to go and say hey you know let's talk over the over the phone um but there's this there's this content creator community like we're always trying to lift each other up we 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 all benefit when we do well there's not this there, if there is competition it's a friendly competition but the competition's definitely not the right right word and yeah. we're all very supportive jimmy you have something oh yeah to no you you got me thinking and, and while you mentioned that thing I, absolutely thankful for the fact that the likes of Matthias and and Jody Collier and all these other YouTubers that were out there and Steve Ramsey reached out to me in the beginning and uh, I, I I'm sure I'm going to leave a couple other people out that that I always admired and watched uh, Chucky 2009. I mean he's not a huge channel at the moment. I mean he's got hundreds of thousands of subscribers, but when he had 30, 40,000 subs, I had zero, and I was reaching out to him and he acknowledged me and it was it was a nice boost to uh, you know jolt in the arm to get acknowledgement from these bigger YouTubers and, you know, sort of, sort of, I mean, I, I say like Steve and, and, uh, uh, Mark Spagnola and these kind of guys that they always had so many more subscribers that they kind of like, I picture them as like the founding fathers of this, you know, YouTube community. There's probably people I'm leaving out, I'm sure. But when those guys would reach out and acknowledge what we were doing, that was extremely uh, validating. Yeah. I agree, and I I want to I want to pile you two specifically onto that as well because you both did that same thing for me, and of course I'm really grateful because it turned into friendships and it turned into this show and it's turned into growth and stuff. But you know, like David, I've said this. This is also in my book that you know you had a huge part in um, kind of getting my videos out there by showing me off in your show. That was amazing, Jimmy. You had a huge part oh, in yeah. inspiring like the style and responding when I was asking you questions when you had no real particular reason to. Um, and that was, that was huge. That also like, um, it didn't, I'm not even footing is the wrong word. That's not what I want to say, but it, it felt like maybe this guy's not as far away as I expected. You know what I mean? He's not like in a golden castle where he makes things with golden hammers all the time. He's just a dude who's also doing a thing that I really would like to do. Um, accessible i guess and that that's been really amazing and i'm very grateful that people are accessible and like you said david that's a little bit harder to do now because the volume of people is way greater than it was four years ago but uh yeah just the how accessible everybody and 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 like freely sharing of information everybody has been is pretty amazing Mm -hmm. and because you know all of us are figuring this stuff out as we go. There is no playbook. There's no like, here's the book that you should buy to figure out how to do YouTube and to make a living, you know, creating content. As far as I know, that book doesn't exist yet. And so we're all figuring it out as we go. And the fact that you can 
reach out to other people who are as blind as you are and ask for help is pretty amazing. So everybody has different experiences. So, you know, it's a good way to, to cross over and share the information we have. And yeah, the community of creators and of people who watch our content is one of those things I didn't really expect. And it's, 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 uh, far more gracious than I, you know, would have expected. So when, uh, growing up, I, I kind of grew up at, uh, around people that, um, I kind of grew up in a negative environment where it was like, everybody's out to get us. We have no money and you have to fight for what you, what you want. And, um, everything is crap. I kind of, that, I, that's the environment I kind of grew up in. Not to, I'm not, I'm not like crapping on my, my family at all, but there was, for a majority of, of my childhood that we were very low income. And so that's kind of the outlook that we had. I'm I'm lucky that I live a different life now, but I I try to focus on the positive instead of the negative. I had a I had a mental change a few years ago um where I I, I try to see the good in things. And so what I'm trying to say is I am thankful that I get to work with you two who are very positive people. Bob is has a really good way of putting things into words. Like I will feel this this thing, but I don't know how to say it. And then Bob will say it in like a really simple sentence, and I'm like, man, that's exactly how I feel. I just couldn't put it in that in that phrase. And like Jimmy just being um, accessible and like there, and will answer your questions and will drop what he's doing to to help you out. Like I just I, I love that. So I'm thankful for the attitude that you guys have towards what we do and towards life. Thanks. Well, I'm thankful that you two guys carry the heavy load in this podcast. And I just show up like the old man and you have to remind me and say, oh yeah, push the talk button, Jimmy. Push the talk button, Jimmy. So thank you guys for doing that. Oh, Grandpa Jimmy. When there's no podcast, that's when those guys left it in my hands to edit or post. I don't even know where to post. I don't know anything. So. Well, I'm gonna hug. I'm gonna hug you guys. Come, give me a hug. Come on. Okay, hug. okay. Aww. Internet hug. <laughs> well, what have you been uh, watching or enjoying or whatever? I'm gonna keep it on the positive, and I'm going to. We've <laughs> talked about Dustin from Smarter Every Day before, but he put out a video. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, called "How a Sandwich Changed My Marriage," and <laughs> it's just this—it's just this good, short, little, little fun video, and you feel good after watching it, and it's got some good life advice in there. That's my video. That's all, right, all I'm going to say about it. You have to watch <laughs> it to to understand it. Um, I found this channel through some potential sponsors I'm going to be working with, and. Uh, it's, these guys are doing really well. It's called Pure Living for Life. They got about 280,000 subs, and the videos are all about this house they're creating in the wilderness by themselves. It's a husband and wife team that left the regular grind to go out into the woods. And I guess they don't really they don't really have that sort of like homesteader feel. They're just like, hey, we just want to do our own thing. They're not like putting that homesteader, you know, living with an axe and uh, you know, no electricity thing. They just they just wanted to go do their own thing in the woods and they're creating this beautiful life for themselves. So check it out. It's called pure living for life. And, uh, I just thought of watching them. And then I also want to talk about Kyle's episode number nine of him building my shop in the backyard. He's such an amazing cinematographer. I, I can't 
I, I, I can't get over what a beautiful camera, what a beautiful shots he makes as a cameraman. And uh, every time I, I see him, we get a chance to talk. I go, you should begin to think of yourself as an artist. He goes, oh man, I just build houses, man. I'm not an artist. I go, no, you're an artist. The, the shots he creates and his drone work and the way he thinks about his time lapses, he is incredible. I said, don't ever sell yourself short. He could actually, I said, you could be the producer of a maker builder TV show. He's really amazing. He's got a natural talent for camera work. So check out Kyle. And, and he also knows how to build a building. Nice. Yeah, I've been watching his uh, lately. Um, I haven't caught all of them, but yeah, it's the some of the drones. Yeah, the newest one really is close. the most impressive for me. I mean, it's the yeah. most recent one in my mind, but it's impressive. It's great. Nice. Um, well, it's funny that you mentioned Destin because I was actually going to mention Destin as well. So he gets double love this week. But it's uh, <laughs> from a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, he did a video about a chameleon and how the tongue like mechanism works of it shooting out. And it was something I had never really looked into very much, but I assumed that it was like a, like a long muscle that just shot straight out and just maybe telescoped somehow. Look I have a that. chameleon right here. Let me do it. See, that's his tongue. You see his tongue shoot out? <laughs> wow. It's, it's bizarre <laughs> how you just happen to have things right on hand that we're talking about. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to put him back in the cage. Okay. We'll get him, in. We'll get him out in the after show. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it, I assumed it was some sort of a telescoping like muscle type thing, but the way that he shows it in slow-mo, it's a catapult. <laughs> hey, can you please shut your chameleon up? <laughs> Hold on. Can you stop it? <laughs> anyway, I'll put it in the description. It's pretty cool. And it's a, a lot of like slow-mo of the tongue coming out and grabbing crickets like out of his mouth and stuff. It's kind of gross, but it's pretty cool too. Yes. <laughs> he got out. Get over here. Stick around for the after show where Jimmy just plays with his chameleon the whole time. Yeah. In, uh, mystery sound. That's a mystery sound for this week. <laughs> oh, no. He's, he's got the giggles. Anyway, uh, all right. Well, um, I can't do it I'm laughing. let's wrap it up for this week. I hope everybody in the U.S., but everybody everywhere, has a great Thanksgiving. <clears throat> um be safe as you travel and thanks for listening thanks for continuing to listen to our goofy show after 145 episodes wow my goodness it's crazy so thank you guys really like that too. <laughs> all right we'll see you guys next week thank you love you guys